Father, this 15th day of this third month, we come to you, Lord. We look to you, Lord, the Father, the author, our creator, our Lord, the shepherd of our soul, the counselor. You are everything, Lord, to us. In spite of everything, we know, Lord, in you, we are always overcome us. For nothing can separate us, Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it is the love that never fails. God never fails and his love will never fail us, Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just want to thank you this morning. We surrender ourselves, Lord. We surrender all those who are online, all your people, all the families, all the churches, all the ministries, everyone, Lord, so many, going through a real, real struggle, battle, so many struggling in the hospital, in the ICU, not because they were sick, but they were attacked. When we look and we see you allowed it to happen, and out of it, you will receive glory. It's not ours to question why. It is ours to praise you through it all. Because you said in your word, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And I pray now, Lord, touch those dear ones, Lord. And I pray that you would touch them. You would heal them. You would comfort them. And you would strengthen them, Lord. Whichever part of the world they are, you know exactly where they are. You know them by name. And I pray, Father, strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them, strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them. And I pray for supernatural, a release of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. As we sang, Lord, only the Holy Spirit can strengthen us in this hour. Your Spirit, more of your Spirit is what we ask. We raise up the standard, the Spirit of God. As the enemy comes in like a flood, we will stand because of the power of the Spirit of God. Empower your people, fill them once again, each day, more and more, not less, Lord. Yes, yesterday was Sunday, but today is another day. We need more, not less. Fill us, Lord, and use us for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We're studying from Nehemiah and from Judges. I don't know why God gave me those two books, but he knows why he gave it to us. Because if you know, I mean, if you, most Christians are not aware because they are not even aware of anything else. So you cannot be aware of spiritual things when you're not aware of what is happening around you. So, there is something that God is doing. And God is, God is like we know, we heard it so many times. God is literally dividing the whole world and the whole church. He's doing it. The church is being shaken and it is being divided. By the time it is divided, what you will have is the fearful and the divided, the double-minded, and he will do it. And there's so much pressure to be politically correct. 
the churches are bending backwards to compromise and agree with the agenda of the system. And God is allowing it. Because in the last days, he will allow a division to come between the wheat and the tares. And the fearful are the first ones who will, it's a huge chunk, they're fearful. Because they have never, never, they cannot handle it. And then those who have, like one, like I said yesterday, and most people didn't understand what it meant because they don't understand the meaning of the word breach. You know, that if you put one hand on the word and one hand in the world, all you will do is split your breeches. Breeches means your trousers. That's an old English word, okay. And that's what is happening to the other. And then there will be those ones. And we need to understand the fundamental purpose as like, you know, on Saturday pastor's conference, we looked only at one gate. But that's the most important gate if you want to finish your race. It's the valley gate. God takes his people to the valley of shadow of death. It's the valley of suffering. And if you refuse to go through that, and if you don't come out through that the right way, you will never finish your race. You will never finish your race. It's not that you don't lose your salvation. No, no. That's I'm not talking about. I'm saying you will never finish your race. You will never finish your race. And you look at Nehemiah or look at the judges. You know, the deliverer has to rise up in the midst of suffering. And he has to be prepared to handle pressure. And you see, read the book of Nehemiah. This man, first taken from his homeland as a slave, then castrated to become a eunuch, has no family of his own, no attachments, but attached to the city of his God. He's gone through it all, you know, and then he has to handle pressure. Why? Because every day he's handling pressure. Nobody knows who is trying to poison the king. And your life is first on the line. You are the first line of defense to the king. Every day before the king drinks, you take a sip, then gives it, meaning you die. So he's already died a million times in presence of the king. So he's got no issues. He handled pressure every day. And we have to learn to handle pressure. The pressure that is coming upon the world is over here. is unbelievable. And Nehemiah is. And if you look at, we were looking last week at Deborah. Today we go back to, uh, you see, Deborah is a woman. Because we need strong men and strong women who will handle pressure. Deborah has three titles over there. One is introduced as a prophetess, the wife of somebody, prophetess, wife, but she identifies herself as a mother. And you need to realize that it's only a mother who labors. The wife doesn't labor. She labors when she becomes a mother. Okay. So her identity is a mother and she labors for Israel. Okay. That's how she becomes a strong woman. Okay. And that's why the Bible says a woman is saved through childbearing. Because I'm not talking about, we're not talking about labor pains. Because if you really, really want to see your children one day walk with God, it will take everything of your motherhood. We're not talking about success. Mothers in the world do that. They sacrifice for the success of their children. But we are talking about even more will be demanded to see they are successful spiritually. It will demand everything of your motherhood. And it's not going to be easy. It has to be a real, real strong mother. She will have to go through the valley of shadow of death. I forwarded to a few people of Pastor Ken's testimony about his two kids. It's a very powerful testimony. I mean, it's unbelievable. I look, I look, I listen to people and I listen to them. Okay. Everybody can speak a powerful word and many of them speak. And when I listen to some people's testimony and you will realize, okay, that's why he was different. Because the testimony behind their lives will show you what framed them. You know, first is when they, when the 
prognosis your child will not survive and they refused to accept it and the child survived and he is 26 or 36 or whatever years old serving the lord today the next is one day his son says i'm gay and leaves and joins the gay community it's a pastor and he handles it cries through it stands firm without changing compromising and one day <coughs> his son calls up and says i need help and he says the holy spirit comes upon his son he's completely delivered comes out of the community and is living an absolutely normal believing life today serving the lord and for years he refused to give up you know and you will see that this is what we are talking about nehemiah's and deborah's and david's and joseph's did not reach the top in one day they had to go through the valley of suffering and god is putting the church through it and don't run away from it I'm not saying suffering in itself will make you know it's how you respond to suffering. You need to be want one you need to be incredibly tough and you should get tougher and tougher and tougher because the challenge is only going to increase. You have to put your hand on the plow and decide I will never turn back. They did not love their lives unto even unto death. The second thing is that you have to come out even more sensitive and compassionate to the needs of your people. Otherwise it didn't work because a lot of people get so tough you get they're unapproachable. They're so tough. And you can't be that. Every one of them were incredibly kind and they were tough with their enemies and compassionate with their people because they identified with their sorrows. And that's the whole purpose of this study because, you know, what is the whole purpose? Why are we studying the Word of God? Because the Word of God will show what will, what do I need to do to allow the Holy Spirit to make me a man or a woman of God? what need i need to do there's a part which god will do and there's a part which god will not do you and i have to do it have to do it and that's what we learned that's the same spirit of christ that is operating through so many different people and we saw in nehemiah we are in chapter 6 but in chapter 1 we saw he re- receives a news all of susa received the news only one man responded the way god wants a man to respond only one man it's a fact of history that he was a cupbearer but that's a different matter if he was not the cupbearer would he have reacted that way definitely that's a man that he was his profession was the cupbearer to king is an aside and that was favorable for him okay esther who happened to be the the queen is a matter that god put him there and she put in hamaya there esther over there but god has put many people in christendom on the top and they never reacted they at least bothered immediately they took off with their career and walked away they took what god gave them and they were never used their position or their power or their influence or their wealth to serve god they walked away and i have seen in my own life how many christians have walked away in top positions like when pastor talks about iit we talk about iflu because there are only two us we accept iflu jnu hsu we look down upon everybody who comes into the campus because for literature only three universities are accepted in india because they are central universities state university we look down upon them if lu jnu hcu and how many christians have reached the top positions has professors and because many when you are a professor you are guiding so many students in the way of righteousness every one of them became a reprobate as far as i know very few after they reached their continued with god but they all became reprobates if all these people had walked with god we would have raised up a generation of influential lecturers and teachers in higher education who would have guided the students in the ways of righteousness instead they all took their careers and went in the way of the world 
So God will raise up people everywhere, every profession. Then what you do with that is in your hands. What will you do with it? Therefore, Nehemiah rises. He weeps, he cries, he fasts. Three months, he cannot move because he knows the king is above him. And at the right moment when the king intervenes, he prays. So he's a man of prayer. He can pray for three months and he can pray in an instant also. Okay, that's the difference if you look at Jesus also. One short prayer and he can pray for morning. Whole morning he can pray. Whole night he can pray. We have to learn both. You, when you have an emergency, you cannot call a fasting and prayer. You need to make emergency prayers. SOS, save my soul, Lord. One prayer. Immediately gets an answer. And he's prepared. It's not that you are not prepared. You are always prepared. So as soon as you fair with the king, the king says, what, what do you want me to do for you? He says, one, two, three, four, this is what I want to do. Granted. He goes, he surveys the whole damage. You have to have these things. He surveys the whole damage. He's got a plan. He encourages the people. No, he encourages people. He resists the enemy, keeps them out of the work. He says, okay, let us be tolerant. You also come in. You also come in. You also come in. And people will like this Saturday also. One sister came and said, uh, I am also a pastor. I said, sister, God bless you. But if you know me in our churches, we do not accept Lady pastors. You could be a lady apostle. I don't know. But I don't see lady apostles also in the Bible. But you could be, I don't accept lady shepherds. It's not there in the Bible. So I cannot give you what you're asking for. It's only meant for shepherds. See, now we are struggling. If churches had taken a stand right in the beginning, that the pulpit and the office of the pastor is for a woman. And it's not for a woman, only for man. It's God said so. It is the order of creation. We cannot subvert it. If they had stood there, unshakable, all the churches, we wouldn't be where we are. First we ordained women. Then we ordained homosexuals. Now we are ordaining transgenders. Where are we going to end? Where are we going to end? What are we going to order next? But where did we begin? We made a small compromise, a pressure. The feminist lobby. God loves men and women. But he created that order. And we cannot subvert his order. We didn't go back to the original book and say, what did God say? So when Paul had to be asked, Paul said, go back to the creative order. And then we once you compromise, one foot he gets in, a little later the whole leg will be in. And now we have reached a point, churches don't know what to do. So we stand over there and pastors have to say, I would rather shut down my church than go against the word of God. I don't want a church that is so politically correct and tolerant. No? And that I become intolerant to God. I want, I want to be tolerant to the word of God. Okay? And because the Bible is very clear. Because they will use all, everybody will use First Corinthians. Love, 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 love. But where there is no truth in love, it is false. It is fake. It's not real love. And we are not doing them any, you're not, you are not helping the women who after the feminist movement, who has suffered? It is the women who are, and the children have suffered. Who has suffered? The homosexuals have suffered. Who has suffered? The transgenders have suffered. They are suffering. The only set of people who are not suffering are the men. And they said it was a man's world. But the man is having a good time still. It doesn't bother him. He says, less responsibility on my shoulders. Before this movement began, everything was on my shoulder. Now at the end of this movement, nothing is on my shoulder. I'm still having a good time. I can choose to be a woman. I can choose to be a transgender. I can be anything. Right? The man is not suffering. 
These movements are demonic, which actually takes away the freedom of the women and the children. And we need to stand firm on what we believe and not buckle under pressure. And that's what this man is doing. He refuses. He refuses. And then he starts the building. He, he starts building. And when he starts building, we looked at in chapter 3, the entire thing about the gates. And he has to defend against the anger, the plot, the schemes, the verbal, the physical of all. The enemy will come in many, many forms. That's why we have to be very and there. He says in chapter 4, verse 21 to 23, the way out is watch and pray. There's no other way. We have to watch and pray. We labored in the work, worked hard. Half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Meaning, what does it mean? This all fundamental, we need to go back. Once you know, you have only very little time to finish your work. You have to extend your work hours. That's what Jesus said. Uh, there's very little time left. The night is coming. Okay, We know the night is coming. If it's not already started. And we know. That's why we are preaching seven days a week. Why are we preaching seven days a week? Because we need to reunite. There's very little time left. Very little time left. So we have to preach and give it out to the people as much as we can in the time that God allows, allows us. And Jesus knew, I have only three and a half years to finish my work. Okay. And Nehemiah knows, I have only 50. I told, I set a time before the king. And I do not have time. And there's so much hurdles. And before we lose our complete freedom to preach the word of God, we need to preach and allow it to reach in the hands of the people. And we can say, all I have done, I could do, I have done. They did until the starts. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party. So they did both. This is what the Bible says. Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And 23... Neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off. So you will see both the leader and the followers are all in the same trench. They are in the same trench. They are. They are like one man. They are committed to the task. And then you will see in chapter 5, we saw just, you know, we are, we are just going quickly going through in chapter 5, you will see the biggest enemy, the enemy that is in the camp. And every nation, every family, every church that has been destroyed was destroyed because there was session within. And you will suddenly realize, while you are building walls and getting the gates ready, the problem is they are inside. You are selling brother to brother. Right? You are selling brother to brother. And there is a, an anger in verse 6 of chapter 5. There is an anger that I says. When you see... see. We are no longer dealing with bad people. We are dealing with demon-possessed evil people now. Not normal bad people who have a conscience. Okay, they have a conscience. We are not dealing with people like that. We are peopling with demon-possessed, wicked, evil people. And when you see the amount of abuse that is taking place, which cannot be even mentioned, cannot be even mentioned. I just showed to Pastor Vijay, one of the males, they send it to me. These evil people hacked and sent it to me by email. And I said, look at what they are saying there, what they do. How evil, they cannot be even publicly spoken. And I know these are things which they do. How evil they are. You know? There has to be a righteous anger. There has to be a righteous anger. And for all those who don't preach, there has to be a righteous anger in your prayer closet. 
And for us who preach, there has to be a righteous anger behind the pulpit. There was an indignation of Jesus when he saw the hardness of people and the wickedness of people. There are people sitting and suffering, sitting there and suffering, and you have the power to help them, and they are more worried, will he heal on Sabbath? 18 years she's been bound, and they're more worried about their technicality of Sabbath. You should not do any work. The same fellow who untied his ox doesn't want to untie the child of God. So there's a righteous anger that has to come, which has to drive us into our prayer closets. And if our prayer lives are not is not changing, then the word of God is being lost on us, and we will be called to account that day. Very few have to be preached. Women don't have to preach, and most men should not preach. But the Bible says so. Brethren, many of you should not be teachers because those who teach will be judged. Why is there so much trouble in the world today in the churches because of teachers who did not have the backbone not to change the doctrine when the difficult days came? They they buckled under pressure. And who, where did it come from? It came from the They changed their teaching. Changed their teaching. That's why the Bible says, you know, you James chapter 3, 1 and 2, absolutely clear. There should be very few, both men and women, who one, yeah, right? Brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why? If Peter reads, and he reads the wrong book and accepts the doctrine, only Peter falls. On the other hand, if I stand here and I preach, and I consistently preach a wrong doctrine, you know how many people will fall? How many churches will go that way? How many people will go that way? No, because most people won't do their homework. They will say, oh, Pastor James has done his homework. He's been preaching for so many years. He must be right. No, and there's a slight deviation I took. And then before you know, the whole ministry is going in a completely different direction. That's why the Bible says so. You know, and these are important things. These are not, uh, people think these are like positions in the world. These are offices over which the sword hangs. For one day, you, the rewards are great. But the judgment is also great. So before you look at the rewards, look at the judgment. Look at the judgment. Look at the judgment. So God is talking to us through all this. And there's a righteous indignation that comes in Nehemiah. But why is he able to have a righteous indignation? Why is that men of God or women of God, if you look into 5 and verse 10, why is that they don't have a righteous indignation when these things happen? I also with my brethren, my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. You know why they don't have a righteous indignation? Because they do not practice what they preach. That's why. That's why they don't have a righteous indignation. They also are quietly compromised. So they see that and they don't say anything. You know why? Because they do not. They take usury. They also sell their brothers. So they keep quiet. Okay. For them, the, the, the pulpit is just another job. They are hirelings. They are hirelings. They are not shepherds. They are not shepherds. They are hirelings. So you know what? They have no indignation. Nehemiah has an indignation because you know what? He's not an hireling. He's giving his own fortune. He's giving what he has acquired to see that the people can live off it. He looks at them and says, hey, there he says, you know what? I don't need, I can take all this allowance from the God. I don't need that. And also I have wealth. I have no family. I have nothing. I don't have, who am I saving it for? You know what? You take it. You take it. But I'm not giving it to free, okay? I'm lending it to you because if I give it to free, entitlement won't make you anything in the kingdom of God. You need to learn to work. Okay, and when you can return it, 
Okay, so he is using his wealth to help the others while the others were charging interest and making money out of you. We are making money out of your brother's misery. That's why till today, if you look in our web page, there is no option for you to send us an offering. And everything we offer to you is absolutely free. You know why? Because you have a need in your life. I am not going to make money out of your misery. And I look at people with genuine revelations. You want a CD or a book from them. You have to pay $30 and $40 and $50. Otherwise, you won't get the revelation. And you know your revelation can save somebody in the ICU. Some sick person can rise up. Somebody's home can be repaired. And you say, I have a revelation, but I put a price tag on it. Okay. And Jesus never did it. Jesus never did it. The apostles never did it. So we have to come back and say, at the heart of the matter, who am I? What am I doing over here? Do I really trust what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you need, I will add into your lives. I will add unto your lives. Do we really believe? That's where we were aware. And then you will see, uh, because he's righteous and his arguments are powerful, backed by his own life, they have nothing to say. They are all silent and they will stop and they will also promise publicly they will restore what what God has, uh, they have taken. That's what happens in Zacchaeus' house. How many Pharisees must have passed through Jericho? Nobody convicted Zacchaeus. Because Pharisees were lovers of money. As Zacchaeus. Only their clothing was different. Heart was the same. They loved money. They loved reputation. But when Jesus walked into his house, he stood up and he said, you know what? Today it stops. And I will restore. You know why? He was convicted by Jesus' life. And his words, okay, they loved lovers of money. So you need to understand where does conviction come from. Then we saw in chapter 6, we looked at from verses 1 to 4. These guys are not going to stop. The devil will never stop. These guys are pictures of the devil. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates. What happened? They sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? They sent me the message four times and answered them in the same manner. That's what we saw last week or the week before. As we grow in Christ, we have to learn, have to learn how to deal with the temptations and the attacks of the enemy and the world. Okay? Enemy doesn't directly come to us. He does come. Not often, but he comes through various forms. We have to learn how he will come. And we have to guard the walls of our salvation. Enemy knows the walls are being built. The gates are, gates have not been hung, but the breaches are being guarded. So what is that? He cannot enter. So what does he do? He tries to invite you to come out. If he cannot enter, he will invite you to come out. And Jesus gives that answer in Matthew 13, verse 21 and 22. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, okay, this is when the attack comes from outside, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Nehemiah did not stumble before that. What does he do in 22? He who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitful of riches choke the word. Now it is not coming in, you are going out. You're overwhelmed by the cares or the pleasures of the world. You broke through the breach in the walls of salvation. You went out to the world to handle it the world's way. You're overcome by depression. So you said, you know what I will do? I will go on antidepressants. Let me go, you know, watch an X-rated movie. It will calm me down. Okay, let me go to this. I mean, we don't have that kind of places in, in India. But most of the Christian world, they have only those kind of places. Only those kind of places. You know, when the cares way out, let me take a shot. Let me smoke some grass. Let me drink myself to sleep today. People try different things. They go out. You're being lured in. Out. Okay. But the cares are the pleasures of the world. That's what the devil does. You know, you have to understand his ways. He says you cannot get in. He's built the walls. And the gates are being, the breaches are being guarded very well. So what happens? He says, let us see if we can get them out. Okay? And you need to realize that. That is how David fell. And that's how Joseph stood. Okay? If you come back to verse 2. So many Right? So many people, men and women of God, have fallen in the valley of oh no. So when the devil invites you, you just have to tell him, oh no. Oh no. Don't go out and start playing Uno with him. Okay? So many people have fallen in that valley. Okay, but thank God, God is a merciful God. He restored David and brought him back. And we will see this, okay, if you turn with me to Judges chapter 13 verse 25 and then 14, 1 and 2. Look at it. The spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanim Dan between Zorah and Esther. The spirit of God is moving upon Samson. Impregnable fortress he has become. Invincible. Nobody can withstand him. So what does the devil do? 14 what? Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went and told his father and mother, see I have seen a woman in Timnah, now therefore get her for me as a wife. They couldn't get to him. So they lured him out. And his fall begins. Okay. When did this happen? When the Spirit of God is moving upon him from Dan to the whole area he is now ministering. And the Philistines know, you know what? You can't get to this dude. He's too strong. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is all over him. You cannot attack him frontally, so pull him out. Pull him out. And he went out. So you will see these patterns all over, and we learn. Just call compromise. Compromising with the world, individuals, churches. And what should be our response? Oh no. Okay. And we come to back to our portion. 6, 3 and 4. What did he say? He says no. No. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm not going coming to coming down. See, remember, okay, this is the simple thing we need to ask ourselves. The simple question we need to ask, okay, stationary position in your spiritual life is not acceptable. In any part of your spiritual life, word, prayer, anointing. 
You cannot stay stationary. If you stay stationary, that means you're going down. You're not going up. You're not going up. You cannot play these games because you have an enemy who is watching you 24-7. In your word, in your prayer, in your anointing, you have to keep going up while the enemy will invite you to come down. And he says, no, I have a great work. What is that great work? It's the great work of salvation. Remember, we are looking at spiritual things here. Okay, We are working. We are doing a great work of salvation. That's what um, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. And we sometimes miss one part of it. What is Paul telling us through there? There is one work which you do, work which you do, which is the actual work of God. It's God does through you, in you, through you. It's the actual work of God. And don't slacken in that work. It's your sanctification. It is the building of Christ in you. It is the conforming of the image of Christ in you. Don't slacken. It is the greatest. We are always concentrated on our ministry. But that is secondary. That is secondary. Primary work is the work that God is doing. You see, we need to understand that when it comes to ministry, God can use anybody. He doesn't need me. But when the work that is doing in me, only I can do it. Nobody can do it. That work in me, only I can do it, not another person. Nobody can replace me in that work. But the work that I do in the world, anybody can replace me. Anybody can replace me. And that God has proven through a donkey and a rooster. No, one checked a prophet, the other checked the apostle. He says, no, to do my work, it's an honor, it's a privilege. But I, I don't need you. If I call you, it's, take it as an honor. But the work that I do in you, I need you. I need you. Nobody else can. And we have to look at that work as a great work. I'm not going to stop that work and come and have some parlay with you, with the enemy. Spend time with the enemy. He says no. So these are things which we need to understand. That is that Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. No man can obey two voices. The voice of God and the voice of Sanballat, you cannot. That's how the whole fall began when the first woman and the man listened to two voices, the voice of God and the voice of the devil. Okay? In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, Jesus emphatically says, in the valley of Ono, he said, no. The devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. And these are things which we Christians need to know. Why? Because the devil can give you can the kingdoms of this world and the glory, the glory, okay, glory, okay, I mean, that is a, glory is what people are all after. Okay. If there's no glory in sports, most people will not play games. Okay, no glory. There are people who play and those who play for glory. In everything there is glory. 
and people are after glory. If there is no glory, you know, how many, how many, everybody you see, all these academies around here, what is it? Cricket. Have you seen Kabaddi Academy? If it's exercise, it's a very, very healthy, very, very good for your body. Why don't mothers wake up the children in the morning and take them for Kabaddi? Because there's no glory in it. No glory in it. Yeah. I mean, no, I really want my church to be fit. Then take them for something else. I will tell you in India. Cricket first. Second is tennis. Because of one Sanya Mirza. Yeah. Then badminton, football. Okay. Football, most people have given up because they realize Indians don't have this stamina, this uh, humidity of 99, 99% humidity, 40 centigrade heat. You, you just can't go anywhere. So club football is maximum we will reach. We are not going anywhere else after that. So see, behind every child, there is a mother. It's not the father, there is a mother. You know? <laughs> I will tell you why. I will tell you why. Because the father gets his glory in his office. The mother gets his glory through the children. Get glory through the children. The father gets his glory in the, in his office. Okay, so the mothers are the moving force for the good or glory, whichever it is. So behind every, there's a Samuel, there was a mother. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And a good mother is like Deborah. Okay. Barak, you should be leading. Otherwise the glory should go to somebody else. Okay. So you need to realize where there is no glory. Where there is no glory. We think men are after glory. No. It's a very subtle way. Women are equally after glory. Equally after glory. Okay, but it's a very subtle way. Men is more f- up, upfront this glory at all. Women is very, very, you know, I mean, you go to a, a house, a bachelor's house, and a house of the same man when he is married, and you will immediately realize glory has come in. <laughs> glory has come in. Okay? Okay. You know, it's, I'm not saying it should be that way, but you will realize it. Okay, look at how when bachelors eat or invite their friends for lunch or whatever, and then when the woman invites her husband's friends, oh, it is a setting because there is glory in it. Okay, and I'm not saying there is wrong in all these things, but per se, okay. there will be a few flowers also over there. Okay, in my house, I am more concerned than my wife will say, "Honey, not that spoon. That doesn't go with this. This doesn't go with this." She's more interested in the plates and the glasses. I'm more interested in the spoons because when I serve, I don't want to spill. So it's more being practical. Okay, so you need to realize even there. And Jesus said, "You know what?" Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. You cannot serve two. You cannot serve two. And the voices are always trying to pull us to serve two. And God says, you cannot. It is not possible. It is impossible to serve two. And every man of God, every if he's a man of God, okay, every pastor who compromises ceases being a servant of God, because already listening to two voices. His, his pulpit all becomes compromised. Already becomes compromised. And that's why we have to be very, very careful. And Luke 12 and verse 20. The Lord said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? This is the multi-billionaire merging companies. 
Okay, and he's thinking about his next acquisition when the Lord speaks to him and says, tonight you die. Meaning, what do you consider the most important work you do? He says, if you're not working on your soul, you are a fool. You are a fool. You are a fool. Maybe you are the richest guy in the world and Tesla is your company. But if you are not working on your soul, you are a fool, God says. That is the work that will ultimately count in eternity. All the rest of the work of the hands of man will be burned. It won't be even ashes. Because when we burn, we get ashes. When God burns, it just it just disappears. It won't. Nothing will be left there. It will be. It will be gone. And we saw that one time when God's fire came on the altar which Elijah had built. Even the stones went disappeared. Everything disappeared when the fire of God hits. And that's what God is talking about. Do you consider the work that you are doing great? Are you doing other works at the cost of the work you should do on your soul? Because that's what it means spiritually. He's working on the walls of salvation and working on the gates of praise. And that's what God is asking about. Do you value your soul? And pastors make this mistake, honestly. Pastors make the, they get so busy with their ministry, they forget to nurture their soul. Nurture their soul. They forget to take care of their soul. And then God has to put them down for a season and says, and that's how it begins, no? The Bible says, and David understood all these things. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures and still waters. He restores my soul. Okay? He takes me in paths of righteousness. For what sake? For his name's sake. But how does he do? He restores my soul first. Okay? We look at the green and still water and he says, wow. It's not talking about food, it's talking about the soul. He's talking about his soul. When he talks about a table, he talks only later. That even in the valley of shadow of death, in the midst of my, my provision always comes through. What I need, he gives me. But he's first concerned about my soul. And if he hadn't fed my soul and restored my soul and made it strong, when the valley of shadow of death came, I would have crumbled and fallen and run away. He's made my soul strong so that when that valley came, I could withstand it, I could stand, I could come through. And this is fundamental principles we are looking at it. And you know what? God does that to everyone who is willing. Who is willing. He takes us through that place so that he makes us strong. Okay? And, yes. So, don't think the devil will give up. He will just change his stack. Verses 5 to 7 of Judges. Nehemiah 6. Sorry, Nehemiah 6. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter. Okay? And in it was written, it is reported among the nations and Gishem says that you and Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come therefore and let us consult together. Okay? He just, devil will just change the tact. What is that? He will use slander and he will use threats now. It's a different kind of threat. It's not the same kind of threat. Okay? It's a different kind of threat. And your intentions are being questioned. That's why it says he sent an open letter. First four letters were closed. Only Nehemiah read. And he sent the answer, same answer, no. Fourth time he sent. So the fellow who is bringing it is reading and all the news is going. 
before nehemiah reaches the red letter reaches nehemiah everybody in jerusalem knows what has been written what is that a slander and accusation and a threat because if the leader has been slandered and the leader is intimidated the work will cease they are not going after the people they are going after the leader understand that is the enemy's tactic that is how it happens okay so beware of open letters okay open letters they are imputing an ulterior motive gain that is why you are in this don't tell about all these thing oh you are giving money and lending money and helping and building you know what the intention is after it is over you will tell the people there is a prophetic voice which declares nehemiah is king you want to rule that's why you have come here there is no sacrifice and all this here okay nehemiah okay we know your ulterior motive at the end of the day you are just like us you are also in this for gain you want to proclaim yourself as king we have heard about it okay beware of open letters and don't be a bearer of open letter so you have slander and arm twisting and in verse 6 you will see in it was written it is reported you know what is called today unnamed sources every trouble that took place in the last 4 years in the trump regime was unnamed sources everybody was unnamed the first impeachment of us were unnamed till today nobody knows who that fellow was whether he really heard they call him a whistleblower unnamed sources whistleblowers Nice cloak, unnamed sources. What is, it is reported among the nations, and when that happens, somebody told me, you "No, know, pastor, wait a second. Who is that somebody? Who is that somebody? No, I cannot tell you. Then it's okay. Because if you tell me that somebody, I will call the somebody to come here. Then you tell me in presence of the somebody. Suddenly there is no news. I have nothing to say. Unnamed sources." and they will say it is our what is that what are the press report correspondence professional integrity silence we cannot all they will bring all these big sounding words over there over a rumor and that's still here okay i'm still so the thing is that you have to be very very careful because the whole purpose of slander is to destroy your reputation so that nobody will listen to you you destroy a man's character he loses his influence and we saw that happening right with jesus onwards the pharisees were out slandering him because they realized people were listening to him and they couldn't stop him preaching and they could not confront him with a message that could be better or even equal to his they couldn't duplicate his works so how do you what do you do he said let us destroy his character We know who our father is. Who knows who your father is? You are a drunkard. You're a wine bibber. You're all the time with tax collectors and prostitutes. The kind of stuff they said about him. Okay, so you need to realize, and it had an effect. Don't think it did not have an effect. It had an effect. It had an effect. Okay, no, and because the crowd started started dwindling, and that's what happens when it has an effect. You know what happened? One person says, two people says, three people says, ten people says, then somebody will bring something which is outside scripture. See, there can be no smoke without fire. I will tell you, one fire which had no smoke, which was Jesus, absolutely clean. And you know, the kind of gossip they said about him. What happens? You know what happens? The crowd starts dwindling. The number of people who start listening to that message comes lesser and lesser. And then he has succeeded. 
his work. And we have to be very, very careful in what we do. We are not partners with the devil. And don't put a righteous cloak, I was doing only to help you, I was only trying to help you. No, you're not helping anybody. The only one you're helping is the devil. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping anybody. You know, put suddenly a cloak of righteousness will come in. And this is what they are doing. So the question is, how do you deal with it when these things happen? We have to learn fundamental principles from the kingdom of God because that principles have power because it is backed by the kingdom of God. Verses 8 onwards. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. What is that? Let your reply be very short. When you know it is slander, okay, you don't have to explain slander. You cannot defend slander. How do you defend a lie? You cannot defend a lie. How do you defend slander when it is unnamed sources? If it's a named sources, you can call him. When it's unnamed sources, how do you how do you handle unnamed sources? It's reported. Who reported? Reporter's name we cannot it is confidential. How do you? Right? Uh, it's interesting about the first impeachment. They wouldn't let know who is the whistleblower to first f- find out, did he have first-hand knowledge about this thing? Because it's a presidential conf- conversation between two president heads of state. So everybody cannot listen to it. Did he li- really listen first-hand to it to say that this is what happened? They won't let know. And we find out later, it's not even a first-hand, it's not a second-hand, it was a third-hand or his invention. And over that, they brought the presidency literally a standstill. You know when it was happening? When the virus had hit the world. What were they doing? It's like saying about Nero was fiddling while Rome was burning. You know what the Congress was doing? When the coronavirus had hit the world and US, they were impeaching the president. Over what? A whistleblower. Over a conversation between two presidents. You need to understand. This is the whole purpose. We see this happening. And what should your answer be? I used to like Trump's this thing when a reporter asks something, you know, he'll say, not true, next question. Two words, not true, next question. Fake news, next question. Mahame also says, not true, it's an invention of your art. What is he saying? Fake news. For all they were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the world. Okay, yeah, words eight, no, it's not. For And he understood. For they all were trying to make us afraid. He says, you know, the whole the tactic to it's your comrade. We heard, it is this thing, it will be reported to the king. First time when you need to realize, whenever somebody says it will be reported to the king, if it was to be reported, they would have already reported. Because it is not true, they haven't reported to the king. Okay. It will be reported. Will be reported. <laughs> if it is true and you are really concerned about it, you should be reporting, right? Will be reported. So you come and talk with us. Let us negotiate. Okay. But what is the whole purpose? The whole purpose is there. Their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. I understand what you are doing. So the, you need to understand fundamental purpose from Proverbs 29 and verse 25. Slander and intimidation. The fear of man brings a snare. But who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man always will bring snare. Afraid of man. What will man do to me? This is the truth. Slander and intimidation. Either you listen to us or we will destroy you. One way or other. And what happens? It is a snare. It is a trap. 
but who are trust in the Lord shall be safe. And you know what he does? He gives them a very short reply. It's not true. It's fake news. It's an invention of your mind. And you know what? I understand your purpose. It is to stop us from working. You know what I'm going to do? I will continue to work. I used to like this. Pastor Vijay talked about sledging and people did not understand what sledging is in America and Europe and all sledging is something else completely. You have a sledge and a sleigh and you go in the snow. But in cricket, sledging is when the opposite team will use all kind of nonsense they will talk to take the concentration of the batsman to get him out. And they will tell you, they will use all kind of, now there are these mics and all, say the old, the old days they used to call you racial name, all kind of things they used to say. Like Indians in Australia, they call the monkey and all that. No, it's okay. But there is, you will see there were certain batsmen, you could do anything, they would not be on. One of them was Sachin. And the statement was always this, I will do, let my bat do the talking. You can sledge me as much as you want. I will let my bat do the talking. I'll keep my mouth shut. And that's what Nehemiah is saying. You can say whatever you want. I will allow the work to continue. You ain't going to stop me from working. Stop from your working. Okay. And the whole idea, even in our own personal lives, we need to realize the whole idea is to stop us from praying and to stop us from praising and to stop us from preaching. And you know what we do? We raise the tempo up. We pray more, we praise more, and we preach more. And you have to do it in your personal lives. You I'm so depressed. You know, this one said that about me. My husband doesn't look at me. He didn't appreciate anything. I don't feel like doing anything. No, you have to start worshipping and praising God. Even at a home level, personal level. No, I'm talking to women now. Women get so depressed because the husband didn't appreciate or somebody didn't notice something or anything. That is when you need to worship even more. The whole idea the devil is using, causing your husband deliberately to forget something so that you will not pray because he knows you pray. And he knows where your attachment lies. All these things we have to be very, very careful about. The whole idea is the devil hates praise. The devil hates prayer. He hates the proclamation of the word because these three things are very, very dangerous for him. So he will cause these things to come into our mind. And you know what? You need to be smart like Nehemiah. You know what you do? Give him a short reply. Fake news. It's an invention in your mind. I am going to praise God. I am going to pray. I am going to preach. I am going to continue the work. Okay? So don't feed it into it. Okay? And we need to also be careful because I know who sent me. I know who I am working for. You are not going to let me stop my work. No, we sang, no, was it yesterday or today? The world didn't give it? Today, yeah, world didn't, because we have meetings every day, so we don't know which song we sang on which day. The world didn't give it, and the world cannot take it away. You didn't send me for this work. You can take me out of this work. Okay. You didn't equip me for this work, so I don't need your strength to this work either. You have to tell that to the devil every day. Okay? And if you think, the devil will give up easily. Look at the next verse, 610. So, okay, before that, go to 69. 69, okay? You will see, the little, little nuggets over there, you need to know. It will not be done. Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. And immediately after that, now therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You will see the book of Nehemiah is interspersed with little, little, little prayers. This was a man who knew how to pray at his work. And you people have to learn this. You are at your office and suddenly an intimidation comes from the boss or this thing or something and all. Now you know, and you, you know, 
you have to learn to shoot off 30 second prayers lord strengthen my hands lord i need lord i need help lord i need help lord strengthen me oh lord that's why we say our god is a ever present help okay and he always shoots off a prayer here here, here there you will see that hamai is a man of prayer and he keeps praying at the job and then verse 610 afterward i came if you think the devil will leave you he will not leave that's why bible says it's not that we are unaware of the wiles the schemes of the devil afterward i came to the house of shemaya son of delaya the son of mehetabel who was a secret informer and he said let us meet together in the house of god within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you indeed at night they will come to kill you he came to visit somebody and he is a secret informer on whose side he is living inside reporting outside and he is saying no let us meet where in the temple holy place imagine somebody comes a pastor have got something to very important to say let's meet at church a church is a holy place no so what he has to say is not only important it's holy too not meet at bhavarji because i will never go he knows i will never go so let's go to tenaspur okay let's go to tenaspur i got something important no i want to meet you at church and tell you uh, what time does pastor service begin at 9 o'clock what day what time do you come uh, do you come early usually i come by 8:30 can i come a little earlier to church before everybody comes church it's a church remember the church has an important position that's what he thinks let's meet at the temple within the temple and let's close the doors to the temple let's meet alone in the church let's close the doors before the the sound team comes in because i don't want anybody knowing this you know how people will say you need to realize nothing has changed we need to know the wiles of the devil okay why you have to be watchful in prayer look at luke chapter 4 verse 13 no not that <laughs> that's another verse 4 13 <coughs> 4 13 this after jesus temptation now when the devil had ended every temptation <coughs> every temptation 40 days every tem- every cure in his arrow he shot at jesus for 40 days and 40 nights i don't think he let him sleep okay not stop every temptation he departed from him until and so i'll wait i'll come back again i'm not finished with you yet opportunity this is what we think everything is over another trick they are trying <coughs> Okay, because this is now be listen carefully. This is one of the most successful attacks of the enemy, because why? He is coming in as the angel of light within the camp. Let us meet in the temple and have something about. I am really careful. Concern is about you. It's not about the wall. Okay, it's not about the wall. It's not about the wall. It's not about the gate. It's about you. I'm really concerned about you. Let's go to the temple because they are after you. I'm really concerned about you. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses thirteen to fifteen. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. And if they were just false apostles and deceitful workers, no problem. That fellow is false. This is true. This is deceitful. This is righteous. No, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. they have transformed themselves and no wonder for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light 
Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. See, the pulpit is to be the preacher of righteousness. But what happens if you pervert the truth? They come in a nice clerical collar and all, or, or tie and suit and everything, whatever costume you want to wear as a and they are, they use the same pulpit, they have the same word, but they are very selective in what they preach. They will they will preach about love. God is love. God is love. We have to accept this and we have to accept that. We have to be tolerant. They will talk about no. They will not tell you God is love, but love is not God. Okay, love is not God. They will not tell you God is love. That is why He allowed His Son to die such a terrible death on the cross for the sake of sin. And the wages of sin is death. It is still death. And there is only one way. They won't tell you the whole truth. They will camouflage it nice. And like I said, the big, the, the, you see the whole mess, right? It was, uh, when Harry and Meghan Merkel got married. Yeah. Now we realize there was two weddings, one private and one public. So which was valid, we don't know. Okay. Okay. You remember the wedding? And remember the sermon? Oh, such rave reviews. He was going on about love and love and love and jumping and love and all. Okay, this, this is all tolerance. And while he was talking about love and love, only this camera people knew what he was talking about. The Christians didn't understand. They said, oh, what a great sermon. They knew. They were panning the camera on whom? Elton John and his husband. His, not, they call his husband, no? His husband, his husband, Elton John and his husband. Yeah, because the, the bishop who is speaking himself is gay. He's gay. So he's talking about love and love and love. And the camera is showing a gay couple over there. So what love he was talking about? Not the love of God. Does it, God love homosexuals? Of course he does. But his love will redeem them from homosexuality. Otherwise his very love will send them to hell to protect the others. If your child has pneumonia, if your child has, let us say, COVID, you have five children, one has COVID, you as a parent will isolate him to save the others. And the act of isolation is the act of love. So every sinner will be who does not repent of his sin and accept the way of the cross, of the salvation offered on the cross as an act of love, God will send them to hell. He'll send them to hell. And preachers who Put on this cloak and do not preach the truth. Do not love anybody. Do not love anybody. You know? That's why the Bible says, preach the love, preach the truth in love. And truth, Jesus did not amend the truth for anybody. He did not amend the truth for anybody. And that's where you need to, they will come and they will clothe themselves as preachers of righteousness and they will only talk one thing about how to tolerate how to tolerate. Now the latest toleration is with transgenders. No. I mean, I have, I have really sympathy for these people. Now you look at them, they are, they are not evil people. They are totally confused people. They are totally confused people. They need help. But you cannot tell them. Now, schools in some school in New York district or something, they are being taught, the children are being taught not to call your parents as daddy and mommy. <laughs> Gender. That's the law. You cannot call a person by whatever gender he was born. You have to call him by the gender he feels that day. That's the law that's being passed. You know, 
Then you realize where the world has reached. And you know what? Churches will say, we have to be tolerant. You're not helping them. You don't love them. That's why you're tolerant. You're intolerant. That's what I'm talking about. How? Okay. They will clothe themselves as angels of light, ministers of righteousness. <coughs> that it will be very difficult to discern the real from the fake. Right? Very difficult. Very difficult to discern. That's why we need the spirit of discernment. The illustration I use is that. We know fake currency. Right? What happened? What if a government starts printing counterfeit currency? How will you find out the difference? Because they have the pressure. There are two countries who are very good at printing counterfeit currencies. One is North Korea, dollars, and then is Pakistan, Indian rupees. These are two governments who print counterfeit currency. Okay, But they have the machinery and the paper, special quality paper. They have everything to print. Okay, So it is almost impossible to figure out it is not true. Okay, So my question is, if seminary starts producing counterfeit preachers, how will you know? Actually, they know their Bible very well. After God, after God, the person who knows the Bible best is not Paul, it is Satan. He knows from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 in every translation available in the world, in every language, he knows. He knows the Bible very well. So even if you know your Bible, you cannot escape the counterfeit. To escape the counterfeit, there's only one thing. You need discernment, which the Holy Spirit gives you. You don't need to know the Word of God. Yes, you need to know the Word of God. But you also need the Spirit of God. And that's how Jesus says it is written. It is through the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit who led him into the wilderness. It is the Spirit who is giving him the discernment. And when the devil quotes saying it is written, Jesus says it is also written. That's why we need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit over there. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. In these last days, a gift we need to ask for. Another working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. That's what we need to pray in these last days. One of the prayers, Lord, let the spirit of discernment come upon your people. I'm talking to, I'm telling you about people whom I prayed for who are not part of our church. They said, after you prayed, we went to this particular church and we saw demons all around our pastor and we ran from the church and we realized we were duped in this church all these years. And then all we realized, oh my gosh, what is preaching? Now we understood why we were absolutely taken away from the word. It was demonic. You can, God will open your eyes. You can really see either whether it is the angels around the pulpit or the demons around the pulpit. God will even do that and show you. Okay, but you don't need to see with your eyes. You will feel, God will check you in your spirit. You know what? That's not true. That's not true. That is false. Okay, that's false. I think it was David Wilkerson or Carter Collin who preached long time ago, run, run for your life. Carter Collin, run for your life. Run for your life. And this, like I keep saying, the state of United States of America, the foremost Christian nation, the where they have reached is simply because of the pulpit. The pulpit is to blame. 
And I take part of the blame, not because I preached, I don't believe I have preached a false gospel ever. But I'm saying because you are considered one among the preachers, so it was our mistake. We didn't guard the pulpit. Second Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So two things. We need the word. Excellent in the word of God. Not as a preacher. Even as a student. Personal life. Very good with the word of God. And we need the spirit of discernment. These two things. You know what happens? You will know what is false and you will know what is not false. Because these last days when God pours out your spirit, Upon flesh and all these gifts starts operating. Don't think the devil will sit still. He will also counterfeit it. He will also counterfeit it. So be very, very, very careful about it. So you know what? If you go back to um, words 12 and 13 of Judges 6, Nehemiah's, sorry, not uh, Judges, Nehemiah. What was the whole purpose? Let me just finish this portion because sometimes we need to know these things. Yeah. At night they will come to kill you. Yeah. And then let us go further. No. And I said, yeah, I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Okay, and 12 and 13. Then I perceived God had not sent him at all, that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So he's a prophet. So there are plenty of prophets for hire today. Plenty. I'm not putting them, tarring them in the same brush, but I'm telling you there are plenty of prophets. You can pay them and they will tell you what you want to. Here. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. You see, this man had the spirit of discernment, very, very clear spirit of discernment, and also two other things, verse 11, first. Okay, two other things, verse 11. Should such a man as I flee? No, he says, and who is there such as I who should go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Two things he says. One, one is his courage. I'm the leader. I'm the leader. I'm the one who's encouraging all the people, got them all together. If I run, then what about these people? Am I a coward that I should run to save my life and leave all these people? First of all, am I a coward? Who am I? Such a kind of person. Okay. Second, he's saying, you see, He's bold, courageous, and he's also very humble. He says, who is there such as I who should go into the temple to save his life? And you see, you know what? Even if I were to run to save my life, do you think I will run into the temple to save my life? I will not run into the temple to save my life. I won't do that. Who am I? Who am I? And he understands the plot very well. I will tell you why. Numbers 18, verses 6 and 7. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of the meeting. Okay. Therefore, you and your... Only, only 6 and 7, right? Yeah, okay. 
Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil you shall serve. I give you priesthood to you as a gift for service. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. You need to realize there was something which God said. Only Levites could enter the temple. Get the temple. You know what they're saying? You come now, I'm prophesying. There's a plot to this thing about I'm warning you. Let's go into the temple and close the door. And they will say, Nehemiah, non-Levite, enter the temple. He defiled the temple. This is the fellow who is building the wall? Who is defiling the temple? See the plot? Because it's a religious thing, right? It's a religious thing. They understand. Uzziah was struck with leprosy because he was a priest and he overstepped his boundaries and tried to do the job of it. And God struck him right there. And 70 of the priests were very brave. They pushed him out and leprosy started. You see, it's a very subtle plot. Subtle plot. Very, and that's exactly what happened. It's very subtle. There's a movement going on, you know. Women's live, women's live. Yeah, it's just true, no? Sister, why don't you also come and preach? But wait a second. What did God say? What did God say? I'm not saying women should not speak or prophesy or pray. I'm talking about pastorhood. Let us ordain the sister also has pastor. But what did God say? You know what? You defiled his home. Not because she's unclean, but it is against God's order. Or all the other stuff that has happened. Very subtle, very subtle. And suddenly you will realize, you know, you know what happened? The temple has been defiled. Temple has been defiled. The pulpit has been defiled. The church has been defiled. You know why? Because you gave in to the lie of the enemy. The lie of, they are out to kill you. Here the government is going to shut the church down. Unless you do these things and be politically correct, you should say, if they want me to shut the church, I'll shut the church down. But I'm not going to be politically correct. I will be scripturally correct. We have two choices. Are you going to be biblically correct or are you going to be politically correct? And the price the church is paying today is because we are trying to be politically correct. No, politically correct. No, our worship team and all, it's not easy. It is very difficult. You have to see, no, they'll ask, why is all your worship team always on the side? And they're always covered. It's because they are not there to attract attention. They're there to sing. This is not a costume display. This is not there to jump in t-shirts and torn jeans. No, this is a worship team. This is a worship team. So they stand over there. They don't have to be seen. They need to be heard. They need to be heard. And if they are seen, it's okay. But it, it is not about them. It is not about them. Okay. It is not about them. No. And you know what? We change these boundaries under the pressure. And you know what? And everybody is talking all hair all around the place and jumping and all. I am absolutely okay with jumping and all. You should jump in the house of God. You should. But you should be absolutely appropriately dressed in the house of God. Appropriately dressed in the house of God. You cannot defile the sanctuary. Cannot defile the sanctuary. You know, we all trying to be politically correct, culturally correct. We don't need, we don't need that many people to worship and all. We just need a few people. You know, because if you don't set a standard, you know what, another generation will fall away. And I'm not saying the other generation will come to the Lord, but when they go, they should always have guilt. I saw the right thing, therefore you should never be comfortable. 
I know there was something right. That is the right thing. The problem is if you blur the lines and the generation grows up who does not know what is right and wrong, automatically they will only choose wrong because that's the nature of the fallen man. Because there is nothing called right. Nothing called right. And God doesn't need too many people to stand up for right. Oh, He needed only one Noah. One Noah in his generation. What are you building? Ark. Why? God said judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Why did not even one single person from Sodom and Gomorrah repent? Is because they saw nothing in Lot. They saw nothing in Lot. He was not a preacher of righteousness. He was a man, righteous man. He never, he was lived among them quietly. Nobody saw his testimony. Nobody saw his testimony. And that's what God is talking about. Because we are preparing and we are building, building to face Whatever comes. And that is Nehemiah's response. Right? So the main thing is that know who you are, know who you are not. That is, that is classic John the Baptist. Are you? I am not. I am not. I am. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you this? I am not. Are you the Messiah? I am not. Then who are you? A voice in the wilderness. You need to know who you are not. Man needs to know who he is not. And he needs to know who he is. A woman needs to know who he is and she is not. And she needs to know also who she is. Because if you don't know who you are, you will never fulfill your calling. Deborah knew very well who she was not. And she also knew who she was. You know what? I am not the one to lead. Yes, all the people have come to me. They're coming for counsel. I give them counsel. I give them advice. And But I am not the one to lead. You are the one to lead. And if you refuse to lead, the glory will go to a woman. Because so battle has to be fought again. I know who I am. I am just a mother. I am just a mother. And if people knew what they are, you know, young people should know who they are. Young people should know who they are. And the Bible is very clear about that. People all need to know who they are and who they are not. Okay, in the kingdom of God, especially. Okay, if you are an older person, let us say you are 80 years old, but your spiritual growth is only one. You need to know who you are. Who you are? There are so many people in the kingdom of God who are aged in years and are babies in Christ. And one of them wrote a prayer request yesterday, and I looked at her and said. Feel sad. This many years in the kingdom of God. And you're still asking about this request. Which is something that you ask when you come into the kingdom of God. No? So how do you judge them? You don't judge them. You treat them as they are. What they are? Babies. What do paid babies need? If you're eight years old, palliative care. That's all. Be good. Sit there. Eat and go. You cannot be put in a place of responsibility. Why? Because you haven't grown. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you are not. You need to know what you have. You need to know what you do not have. Okay? I know the gifts I have and I know the gifts I do not have. And what I do not have, I will not try to operate. Because I do not have it. As simple as, do I desire? Yes. But does it mean I will fake? No. No. Because these are things which we need to know. And our much, we need to know our limits. And we need to know our limitations too. We need to know. And Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah knew. They're going to set me up. They're going to set me up. 
Okay. So he says, you know what? I'm not going to run in and hide. He guarded his heart from fear. He guarded his heart from, from pride. And let's finish the rest. Only two more verses. Okay. Then I pursued God had not sent him at all. He had a spirit of discernment that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. He would go into the temple, it would be a violation of God's law, then they will say, you see, this is what your leader does. He's such a darpuk. He's a coward. First sign of trouble, he ran into the temple and he broke. First, he abandoned you. He's more afraid of his life. Second, you know what? He went and broke the law of the Levite. He's not a Levite. He's sitting in the temple. And verse 14, and we'll close. That's the last verse, no? My God, Rubsi, everywhere he will pray. It's just one line prayer. You imagine you're the, all, the, all the prophets. They're not f- genuinely false prophets. These are prophets and acknowledged leaders have gathered against you and prophesied over you. And you still pray to God. One line. Lord, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works. And that prophetess, see? Now, unlike Deborah, another false prophetess is there. Nodaiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Remember them, Lord. What is he saying, Lord? These people should have used their voices and their gifts to build your temple. They are using their gifts and the power to destroy your people. Remember them, Lord. That's how we pray. I said, I do not know them. But Lord, every man and woman of God who is using their gifts to destroy God's people, remember them, Lord. That's how Paul prayed. Remember Alexander. Remember Alexander. Didn't he say that? First Timothy, let's look at that too. New covenant. Because people will say, oh, these are all old covenant prayers. No. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. Four fourteen. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. First uh, t- uh, Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected. They rejected the way of faith and the good conscience. Concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Who are they? Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. Okay, now, yeah, wait, wait. You know what he's doing over there? He said, these are preachers. These are fellow workers, once with Paul. They're all workers. But they have gone away from the doctrine. And now what they are preaching is actually blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Because they are teaching wrong doctrine. It's blasphemy. So you know what I did? I handed them over to Satan. Handed them over to Satan. Protection. And Lord, take the cover of protection over their lives. Let them be destroyed by the enemy. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17. And the message will spread like Cancer. Okay, the message. You know, wrong, wrong doctrine goes around the world two times before the right doctrine gets into the heart of people. It spread like cancer. It metastasizes. Spreads. No? And what is the only thing with that? Chemo. You need the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn it out of the system. You cannot do anything else. Nothing else will work. It spreads. So we are not talking about Old Testament, New Testament. You will stand or fall by the doctrine you believe. And there is so much false prophets and false doctrines and it spreads. 
Why does it spread? Because it appeals to your flesh. It appeals to your flesh. So this morning, because today is 15th of March, two and a half months we have come through. And we need to know what we are fighting and what we are fighting for. We need to know. It's a battle till the last day of our life. We have to hold on to the scriptures with one hand and cling to the Holy Spirit with the other hand and continue doing this work because this intimidation will come from every form they will come. You know, they will try. I'm telling you honestly, they will try all kinds of things to take our hall away from because they know we own nothing. You don't have to own a thing in this world. You just need to see that you own God. And God is yours. And you are gods. Okay. God, you are gods and gods, that's all you need. At the end of the day, you will know that the earth and the fullness belongs to God. But they will try everything. Everything possible. And a lot of people are trying. And the funniest people are that every one of them, I don't know. Even if I see them, I wouldn't know that. These are all people trying all kinds of things just to move us out of places. Okay. And I was wondering, you know why? What is they so upset about? I don't know their names. I don't know their churches. I don't know what they preach. They know me, my name, and they know what we preach. So what is the problem? The problem is the preaching. Bend, bow, or burn. You know, the word of God cannot be stopped. Can only stopped, we stop. And God will find somebody else. Like Mordecai told Jester, a time and a season like this, time and a season like this. I wrote to somebody in another part of the world, I said, for a time and a season like this. I said, in a week, in a week, today is 15th, in a week, it'll be 27 years since I started through the valley. That's why I don't buckle under pressure. Don't buckle. It's not one year, two years, the five years, six years, seven years, or ten years, 20, 27 years. It started on March the 26th, 1994. It's been 27 years and once you have gone through it, you don't buckle under pressure. You don't turn back. So I'm telling all young people, you have to learn to handle pressure. And you don't know the pressure when you are serving God. The pressure is always to quit. The pressure is always to compromise. The pressure is always to turn around and run and give up. And the devil is going to come back at everyone with everything he's got. And God will allow it because a sifting is taking place. God is sifting his church. Because you know why? Because he's birthing something new. And every time in scripture when God has birthed something new, he allows darkness to overcome. In the priesthood of Eli, the whole darkness will come because Samuel is being raised and nobody knows. Saul will be allowed to run amok because David is being raised. There is going to be 400 years of silence between Malachi and the new covenant because John is coming and Jesus is coming. Before there is a transition, God will allow darkness because there's a sifting that is taking place. And out of that, what is birthed will be of God and only of God. And I keep telling you, in the wilderness which nobody knows, there are men and women of God being prepared. The world hasn't seen them. They do not know them, but they will. That is why the Bible says in Romans 8, the whole of creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. You know why? Because they will do great exploits because they know their God. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the another before that. The whole of creation, okay? Yeah? No, not that. Okay. 
all of creation for the sons of God to be here. Yeah, okay. For earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That's why the whole creation is waiting. And the sons of God are not born or framed in palaces. They are born and framed in the valley of suffering. And God allows it. And when you go through that, you have to come out stronger, like Nehemiah, stronger and more compassionate. Stronger in truth, more in grace. You hold that two things with Jesus came. Full of grace and full of unbudging when it comes to truth. And full of grace and you have to believe. Devil is all around, darkness is all around, sin is abounding, but grace abounds more. It doesn't matter how dark the uh, darkness looks. The only thing you need is absolute total darkness covers the whole thing. All you need is one match. The darkness is dispelled. Okay. That's all it takes. Because darkness is always dispelled by light. And never have you ever seen darkness put away light. You cannot put away light with darkness. But darkness always disperses light. Uh, light always disperses darkness. And that's what we are holding on to. It. Truth and grace. And that's the life of God. And this morning when we come, come and let's pray. You know, because I have to pump up my pastors. <laughs> I cannot, like with a lot of stuff is happening. I don't want anybody buckling down under pressure. You know, buckling down under pressure. They have to stand firm. Because the pressure comes to compromise. It's sometimes it's from the congregation itself. No? Congregation itself. And it, it can cause so much discouragement. Let me say, let us say you have a church of 50 people and you're preaching, 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 preaching about holiness and sanctification, clinging to God and loving God. And then suddenly you see five people walk away and go, absolutely carnal. Is there something wrong with me? Am I getting it wrong? You start doubting your own this thing. That's why you have to go back into the word and make the prayer closet and hear from God. No, stand there. Stand there. And you have to look at Jesus. Ultimately, everybody left him. The Bible says even his disciples left him. And he turned around and he asked his disciples, do you also want to go? And Peter had the only correct answer. To whom else can we go? You alone have the words of life. This is the pressure um, pulpits are facing. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Don't you see the crowds are going? If the crowds go, where will our money come from? If the money isn't there, how do we sustain our ministries? Give them what they want. After all, if that's what they want, give them. No? How does it matter? That's what they want, give it to them. The money will come, ministries will run. God says, you are a hireling. We are a hireling. We are not hirelings. We are not hirelings. And we cannot get very hard too because these are broken people. So we have to stand on truth with one hand and be unbelievably gracious on the other hand. So you know what we, when they come, broken later, we heal them, we pray over them, we take care of them, and that's what Jesus did. A smoking flax, he wouldn't put off. A bruised reed wouldn't break. Yet he was unflexible when it came to the truth. He wouldn't. Okay, and this balancing is not very easy. It's a very difficult thing. That's why we need to go back into our prayer closet every day and every morning and say, Lord, help me. Because Lord, if you leave it to me, I'll be either one of the two. Either I'll be absolutely carnal or absolutely rigid. And I can't be either of this. I have to walk the way you walk and only you can do it through me. That's our prayer. Okay.